Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Episode 61 with John Gay. I talked to him for two hours about everything ranging from ancient Egypt to his art. He's an awesome guy. He's a visionary artist out of Colorado. Take a listen. Welcome back, John Gay. I mean, Good to be back. It's been a, I think it's been a couple months at least since you've come. Yeah, out. yeah. Yeah, it's been a couple months at least. It was winter time for sure when you came on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember that. It's got snow everywhere. Yeah, because you live in Colorado, right? So is it always yeah. snowing from like November to March, basically? So we get we get a Halloween snow. So it comes around mid to the end of October. And then it's weird, you know, we might not get another snow until late December. I mean, you might get one in between those two, but it's nothing major. And then January hits and it's, you know, it's cold outside right now. It just snowed. It just snowed last month. That's crazy. Really weird. It's really weird. Yeah. We call it schizophrenic weather. I'm from Georgia. We call it drunk weather. Here it's pretty schizophrenic. Like it's, you never know what's going to happen. They actually had last, last year, like record breaking temperature so it went from 75 degrees and it dropped down like 28 within a matter of hours and the wind was blowing crazy I think it was record breaking like weather change and I witnessed it it was pretty wild I mean by the end of the by the end of the night there was snow everywhere it's crazy that's crazy. The only thing that I've seen is is like in Oregon where I'm from or where I go to college at, it starts pouring and then it'll be sunny like 10 minutes later or vice versa. <laughs> yeah. But in Nevada, the only thing is, is like there's not really a spring or a fall. It gets like 30s, which isn't that, that cold, 20s, 30s in the winter. Right. And it goes like from like a month, it goes to after it's cold, it goes to like extreme hot, like 118 degrees. Oh, you're, so you're from Nevada originally? Yeah, I'm right here right now. I mean, I'm born and raised oh, in Las cool. Vegas. Yeah. Oh, word. Yeah. Wow. Okay, okay. So you go to what part of Oregon were you in college? So Pacific University. It's like, here's Portland. It's closer to the coast from um, Portland to the coast. It's like in between kind I, of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I used to live in Portland about six, eight months, you know. It's pretty out there. I loved it. It just rained a lot. And there's like, weird people Grizzly. for sure. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know, keep, keep Portland weird. It really is. My friend, my friend goes to Portland state and he just uh, put on a Snapchat story, a guy just naked biking down the road. And he was like, welcome to Portland. Oh yeah. They have the, they have the naked bike day. I'm surprised he didn't see more. That guy might've just been like practicing, but we got to go back. What is the naked bike day? So they'll do like one, one day during the summer, they just, I mean, all the townspeople, I guess whoever wants to participate, they all start, I think there's like a park over there um, on the river right there, right out, right out like old Portland area. And um, yeah, I think they start right there and they just ride through the town all naked. And it's just like, it's okay. It's like, they don't mind it. People are like, whatever, Portland's weird. We're going to... But you know, I remember when I first moved out there. It was it was like night and day from where I grew up. You know, they're very conscious, um, considerate, like people out there for the most part. Especially when you're crossing the bridges, 
you know, and you're getting off the exit, like, they'll let you go. You know, it's one at a time. Atlanta, no. I'm sorry. You're just going to wait. I'm going to take it up. You're going to have to take a spot when you can. And that, you know, going out there, I was like, wow, you know, it's cool. And, you know, they don't, they don't use plastic paper bags. They do the 10 cent deposit for your canned drinks, recycling compost and like the trash are all required. So it's like, I like their, their ways. I think it'd be cool to spread that around, but then you also have, it's, it can be really, it can be really messy and dirty there. And it's unfortunate, but that's at the same time, they've learned to like deal with it in certain manners, which is like, okay, you know, can make it work. It's just how I think that's how Portland is. Portland's just going to be an interesting spot to always go. I don't think whoever designed Portland at the time either, because how small it is, you got the two-way bridges, you know, they didn't realize how cool Portland was going to be in the future. And now everybody flocks there and it's like, they think the traffic's bad. It's really not that bad. No, it's not. But it, it to them, it's pretty bad, I guess. But at least they're considerate. Yeah. Well, <laughs> here's the thing, too, about Portland is like, or even Oregon in general, it's like, it, you know, it is, first off, I can't tell you how much I've made off of those can deposits. Like me and my, I live in a house out there with like some of my mm-hmm. um, roommates and uh mm-hmm teammates i guess is what i meant to say um yeah we uh we always that's all we do is we have like a thing in our garage it's like i think it's what the water heater came in we got a new water heater at some point and I th- yeah and we just dump the cans in there and whenever that's full we take them to the um the can deposit and get like 30 yeah. yeah yeah you can't do that in all the states that's what's so great you know you go up to Oregon. at least they're considerate and conscious about that kind of stuff you know and it's an incentive to recycle you know i feel like if they did that everywhere it'd be a little bit better but then you get the like you said you get the homeless problem because you know there are a lot like i think there's more homeless shelters out there than there is most other places but a lot of homeless people don't want to not be homeless because to go in those shelters you have to not drink or do drugs and a lot of mental health issues or addiction right and so there's not an in-between point you can't send a homeless person to rehab yeah, it's you know that's a that's a fine line to walk and try to figure the best way to go about trying to fix that problem. Because I mean, yeah, like you said, not they don't want to be homeless. Some of them have like mental problems, and you know that's something that we need to try to work on. I mean, it's in like most cultures and religions. Help thy neighbor. Don't like dismiss them. Like they're in the same boat with you, like help them. And that's going to bring more gratitude to you. Like you're going to feel good about yourself for helping that person out. We don't see a lot of that, unfortunately, in the world. It's with most homeless places. Here in Denver, we'll have, um, we have like homeless camps where they've gotten together and they've put a little tent community up. And this is the city, like the, the city ordinance doing this to try to help. And then, you know, where I'm, I have friends that live in, say, Knoxville, Tennessee. The police go through there and they rip those tent cities apart. They don't want them there. Funny thing about that, Knoxville has got a huge homeless problem. 
a lot of those homeless people that they don't want there, um, they don't want to help out, came from Atlanta. This was in the 1996 Olympics. They had them in Atlanta. The Atlanta city, whoever, the whoever runs the city, got together. They got a ton of like Greyhound buses, and they offered these homeless people twenty dollars in a Greyhound bus to leave because they wanted to clean up the city before the Olympics arrived. And I'm just like, man, you know, let's just send them somewhere else. And then they get to Knoxville, and there it's overflooded there, and then people there. I mean, you're in, you're in the country, like there. Those people are kind of set in their ways, and you know the South is the way it is, and the homeless people have a hard problem there. I can see you going to like, and it's like that everywhere. But I feel like if you go to other countries or other states, there are other bigger cities that are there to kind of like help the problem and not dismiss the problem and get it out. I mean, just like sweeping it under the rug is not going to do anything like we need a better solution and what you know i'm sure there's a lot of fakers out there a lot of people they're like pretending to be but i hate to see um um a retired veteran out on the street begging for money you know i'm a lot of the times you can see the hurt in their eyes a lot of times they might be faking but you know, you get a genuine feel for somebody that's like, man, they shouldn't be in this situation. And like, they served their country, probably got shot at multiple times, and they're out here living on the street and nobody wants to take care of them. That's a shame. I feel so bad for that. But at this point in time, too, it's like a lot of people have been tricked. We don't know who's telling the truth and who's not. So, you know, we all have ID cards. We all have a social security number. I think that if there was an organization that was like willing to try to help some of these people out, the one help or needed the help, there's a way to go about helping these people. But it's the lack of money that wants to go into it. We can put all this money into warfare. We can't even put it in our education system. And we definitely aren't putting it in towards helping um, people that can't help themselves. So, uh, you know, the system's kind of screwy. I don't know how else to put it. I think there's a lot of improvement that could be done. But there's a lot of improvement in the world that needs to be done. It's like, who do you focus on? Do we focus on the children that are starving in other parts of the world, third world countries? Do we need to help the animals that we're killing because we're trying to farm or make more land? in for ourselves like i think that cohesive atmosphere of living with each other and nature and trying to help help that actual situation is something we need we really need to work on as a homo sapiens no for sure and something you said about um ids and stuff you know made me think about how you do nfts and stuff and one of the things that they're looking for in the future nfts being a certain nft being everyone being one born with it at birth and it being like their identification and right go through you scan it and it's like you and i think that Mm -hmm. could help a lot of the identification problems and fraud problems but also you know it's also so touchy when you get into that cryptocurrency world because you need such high level computing to like keep it from being frauded or fraudulated. Right. That, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But what is your experience since you are an artist with NFTs and everything like that? 
Well, yeah, I'm like old school artists. I'm a, I'm a 1984 baby. So I'm on that cusp of, I still grew up outside playing with action figures and BB guns, but also had, in which I, you know, I come from like a lower income family. So we didn't really have a, I didn't have a computer in my home until probably seventh or eighth grade, but we had them at school, you know? So getting to know the computer, but also still doing everything hands-on. Um, I grew up and I'm a hands-on artist. I don't do a lot of digital work and I, you know, the, NFTs that I have are collabs, which is not saying that I can't eventually get into it myself. It's just trying to make myself learn certain aspects about it. But these other these other digital artists that I've been working with are amazing, and it's one of those things that's like, as an artist that paints on a canvas, that that's the original. Like, that's it. I can make copies of it. I can make prints, canvas prints, stickers, mugs, whatever I wanted to make with it if I have, like, a good, high-quality file to ren render it and use it again. Um, the NFTs is, that's where you'll have a lot of, like, leeway of people over here, like, well, where's the original? Well, the original's on my computer. But where is the original? Can I have the original? Well, no, technically all I can give you is a print because it's on this computer, you know? Um, even if I want, if I made a digital piece of art and I wanted a copy of it, I'd have to make myself a print. So that's why like, the NFT thing came into play and it's like, okay, we have this actual product. We're basically saying, we're gonna sell you this and we're gonna give you the credentials saying this is the original. I still have it on my computer. All these good things. People can probably save it, screenshot it, whatever on their phone. They have a copy. It's not the highest quality, but they have an image of it. Um, but the person who bought the NFT actually has from the artist saying, this is the original. Like, you have the original file. I'm not going to do any more work to it. Nothing else is going to be done. This is yours. And then they can turn around and sell it. So it's like a digital, I kind of see this digital USB drive that's being passed around and sold kind of thing. And it has the, um, it has the credentials on it saying that this is the real thing. Um, I think later on, you might have some problems with some forgeries, you know, people learning the system and learning how to take advantage of it and do certain things, which is going to cause, it's like police, and criminals. Criminals are always one step ahead. Usually they have to be. Cops are always chasing. So I think that's what it's gonna be like. You know, they they might find loopholes in it where they can do something. And then here the people that are like, fuck, I just messed I just got ripped off. I gotta figure out how to solve this. So you're gonna have room for improvement and all that good stuff. But I think it's a cool a cool thing. I think that a lot of other companies will build off of it frames. Like say you're assigned back there, for instance, like if you had an NFT with Colin demands podcast, it's like moving around doing all this stuff. They might build a frame that you can stick a USB drive in kind of like those little photo frames that they change. Yeah. I was going to say, I was going to say they, I think the next step is holograms, right? I think they're doing a lot of this. Yeah. Holograms. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think there's going to be a lot of different, ideas that 
come from that like way of making art and displaying it. Yeah, they're my. They did it with T-shirts and the like. They move in the sound. There might be a way at some point where they can like display it on a shirt, and it's all moving around by itself. You know, there's all kinds of different ways that somebody might think of some cool stuff, and I think that that's cool. I just think it has a it has a little bit of a road to go down before we figure the ins and outs of it. And I mean, plus crypto kind of like dropped, so it's like. You know, what are we pricing it at? That's another thing. You know, a dollar bill is technically a dollar bill. And it might only be worth 75 cents, but we spend it as a dollar. The cryptocurrency market's going up and down. So, like, one day I might have two Ethereum that's worth seven grand, and the next day it might only be worth three grand. So, I guess that's part of the game, part of the auction, playing the game. But, I mean, these platforms are there for that. It's like starting platforms can get you out there. I mean, people probably making, people have been making digital art for years. They've been making NFTs for years. They just didn't have a way of displaying their NFTs and selling stuff like that. Now there's a platform to do it. So it's interesting. I think at some point I'll eventually do some of my own. I just have to figure out, I have to make time to step away from my actual painting. Well, th- there's something, yeah, but there's always something that's going to be like the more like the soul, like, you know, this gets into all the things we talk about me and you, the, the, the depths of humanity, you know, there's something that you can do on your canvases in person that you can't really do through a computer. Um, you know, it's, right. it's not as personal almost. And, and one day it might be able to, like, you might be able to throw on a VR headset and do it and then create the NFT. That's a long ways away. And even right, though, right. it's not like you touching the paint specifically, maybe even creating the paint. Right. That's a, that's a thing. I think a lot of people, I mean, you're going to have a lot of old school. Uh, I think it might come with a generational thing. I, I've always said, and I was always taught like drawing with a pencil will never, that will always be a foundation point for any art, any art form, whether you're sculpting something, making something in a digital world, taking a pencil and a piece of paper and jotting it down is always going to be a foundation. That's never going to go away, but that's also like, Oh, I mean, they've been doing that for thousands of years. So that's, that's kind of like a concrete who I'm going to be okay as an artist doing my painting a physical form instead of the digital world taking over and painting becoming obsolete, you know, like that's something to kind of maybe be worried about, but I don't think that that'll happen. I mean, you can look at certain art form quilting, like grandmas that used to quilt. There's not a lot of young, like newer generations that know how to quilt. So that's a lost art form. And that's what I'm worried about with the digital world. I don't want to say I'm worried about it. It's just a thought. Um, I'll probably be dead and gone by the time the digital world like, takes over and the matrix happens and all that good stuff. But, you know, it's just one of those things where it, I've built my whole life around this and I'd hate for something to come along just be like, hey, sorry, we're going to take over and I'm like left behind because I don't know how to do it. So me picking, that's why I got this iPad. I got Procreate. It's a tool. It's something that I should learn. It's my responsibility as an artist to learn it, you know, if I want to keep going and keep up with the ages. But 
deep down, I don't think that I don't, at least in my lifetime, that painting will ever become obsolete due to the digital world. But I think that they could merge, which they have been. Um, but I think there's a lot to play with in that realm because it's all art. And like you can mush it together all you want to. People do it all the time. And it's it's cool because you know, every every ten years, every generation, something new in the creative world happens. And you know, that's really what makes us humans. I mean, we're very creative people. Um, everybody creates something, whether they think about it or not, you know, or consider it to be that way. But, you know, somebody has to sit down and think about how they're going about doing something. Hell, cooking with a recipe is an art form, you know, it's just, you might call yourself a chef. And I think that that's interesting because I think everybody has that aspect behind them and they can play with it. And there's all kinds of tools to use, but you know, whether it's whatever, whatever you want to call yourself. I've always been weird about the word artist. I mean, I like to paint. I guess I can be artsy, but artist became a very broad statement. I think a lot of people were artists. I was like, maybe I'm just a painter, you know. I just like to paint. I don't know how to do all this other stuff. I think there's very more, I think there's a lot more artsy people out there. You know, they put their hands on anything. It's amazing. And like, I, you know, I look up to those people. I, I think that that's kind of, I think that's skill. I think that that's the gift. I've worked 30 plus years practicing. I don't think I was born with a gift by no means. But I think that there are some people out there. I don't know, man. I don't know. Looking at your paintings, you're born with something, dude. I can't do that. And I well, I don't. I you know, I don't know how to say it. It's just I have. I've struggled over the years. There's been times where I just want to throw my pencil away. Um, I couldn't figure something out, you know. And those are kind of they. They will deter you if you're not careful. You just have to keep pushing. Maybe you can't figure that out. Go another option, go another direction. It's like certain paintings, certain types of art that I, I love. I wish I could do that kind of art. I can't. There's no way. It might be hyper-realistic. It might be like the messiest looking stuff ever. But it's like, a, it's like organized chaos. Like it, it was intentional. How you did that, I have no idea. You didn't just go... And it's done. No, like you thought about what you were going to do, I'm sure. Like, so I love that kind of stuff. I just can't, I can't pull off a lot of it. So I, I, I don't know. I think I'm rambling at this point, but. No, you're good. I'm cool. listening. Artist. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, to take you back a little bit, I got caught with one thing you said that I was like, I got to remember that because I want to um, ask him this. I don't think I've ever asked you this. Has psychedelic experiences and the kind of art you do changed the way that you feel about death. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Over the years I've heard 
different people's experiences. I do a lot of research, you know, it's interesting. It's scary. I mean, it's just inevitable. Everybody's going to die and pass away. Um, For that to be something to be afraid of, I think that it's very common, but it's, it's something that it's inevitable. We shouldn't be afraid of that. Um, We should, that should make us want to live our life more. Like, it's just like, today's the present you know you never know what you're gonna get tomorrow um i i've had a my few psychedelic experiences that i have ego had an ego death hell there was one time i swear i was it was kind of like you know they pick people in a coma walking around a hospital but the hospital's deserted there's nobody there but that person walking around that happened to me one time in a hospital but it happened to me after I had a, a DMT experience and that changed my life I I can't I could never stress enough how much that changed my mental the concept of the way I was living my life at that point I got just started life painting um, I'd been going to festivals for years as an attendee I was in college had no idea what I was going to do with my life I knew I was going to be an artist, but, I, you know, at that point in time, festivals were, you didn't see a lot of live painters, if at all. So I didn't even know that was a thing. I'm still going in, I'm in college, and I'm like, am I going to have to get a job at, like, a firm where they're putting me to work doing design logos? Am I going to have, am I going to get a comic book artist job, a cartoonist job? None of it really, like, excited me. But I was going to these festivals and I was, how am I going to pay my bills? Like, what am I doing in my life? All these like kind of negative questions and way I was feeling. And I wasn't, I wasn't seeing what was around me. I was doing what I wanted to do. I was live painting. I was making some money doing it. I was meeting people. I was part of a community that they appreciated what I was doing. And I, it took that, it took that experience to just, boom. like, you need to look at this a completely different way. And it was harsh. It was scary. I was convinced I was gone. I kind of wanted to figure out how to present my body to the people that were going to find me. I was in that headspace. Um, and it was a complete wake up call. I, you know, I told my mom about it. She's kind of like, Ugh. But for me, it changed my life. I'm not necessarily afraid of dying. I am afraid of what I might not get to do before I die, when it might come, obviously. I don't want to go through any pain, you know? But I think that's most people. Um, it just shit happens. It might be a freak accident. I might get cancer. But I think that that's where you need to figure out how to appreciate what you have right right now. And if you're not really that happy with it, then you are capable of, of making it better, if you can. Um, I can't say everybody's that lucky, but um, that would come into us helping other people. <laughs> but, like, you know, I it's, – it's definitely – has given me a wake-up call. I think that it's a huge part of your psyche 
uh, psychedelics, especially like uh, mushrooms and say peyote and these natural plant psychedelics that are here. I mean, you can add LSD into it. The LSD is just, uh, it's, it was a compound made up a bunch of natural substances that cause hallucinations and stuff. But how, how it plays with your brain chemistry is what's very, very intriguing, especially like mushrooms. That's why I'd go to mushrooms. You know, people are kind of iffy about acid um, because it's a man made it in a laboratory. Mushrooms are natural. So I'd always go with a mushroom for people who wanted to experience it but have never experienced anything like it before but are curious. You know, those are, those are really powerful, but they're really raw. I mean, LSD to me is cleaner than a mushroom trip. But you couldn't convince somebody that's never done either to try LSD first that might not trust it. So mushrooms are always a safe bet. It's natural. It's in our earth. It's part of the mycelium. The mycelium, it literally is representation. It looks just like your brain, the way neurons connect. So uh, being able, like Oregon, uh, legalizing it, um, Denver, downtown, like the city limits of Denver, I think it's legalized. It. That's allowing people to study this and it not being a, an illegal form of study. And I think that that's a huge, huge breakthrough for mental health cases, um, PTSD, uh, just literally rewiring the brain. If we could study how it affects us, what parts of the brain it affects, how to, and this is like a scientist, not some hippie who loves to do it like me, like, yay, it's fun. We need a scientist to know how the neurons are hitting, how it's affecting this part of the brain, what other part of the brain is it communicating with. Um, I think that's what's going to help with Alzheimer's. I think that that's what's going to help with certain memory loss things that people go through at a certain age. Like our bodies are made to heal. Um, I think that a lot of stuff we put in our bodies in this day and time is not healthy whatsoever. Food, pills, drugs, whatever. But I think that there are certain psychedelic plants that are here. It's like I always say, humans think we're the most advanced species on this planet. I go get my gun, I'm going to shoot this lion. This lion can't kill me. But then I might eat a mushroom or smoke some DMT and I literally question my reality. Like, am I here? Is this real? <laughs> Who's advanced now? This plant, probably. This plant producing a chemical that makes you question. But I've always said, I mean, plants, there's a really cool documentary, Botany of Desire. It's a documentary, it's a book. You can watch both. Um, it's really, really cool. But it talks about Homo sapiens keeping certain plants around. But at the beginning, he talks about how he's taking a day off and he's in his garden. And he's watching all these bees pollinate his flowers in his garden. And he's like, the little bees are just slaves to these plants. They pollinate them. The plant's just sitting there. It produces its own food. It never has to move. And everything's done for it. And then he's over here watering it. He realizes that I'm a slave too. Like, I'm watering my plant. I mean, I have plants in my house because they're pretty. Who's the slave? We are. Like, we want plants around for certain reasons. We keep them around. And that 
documentary really talks about that. It's really interesting. But the fact that plants grow straight up, they defy gravity. They're the only thing that defies gravity. They're fractal. They can keep going. They're the same as top as underneath. Plants are really interesting. And they've, I mean, you go into fungus and, and moss and all these, like, that thing that those are mixed between. It's a lot of weird plants out there that have been around for millennia. Yeah, and for sure. Have, have just evolved. I mean, there's so much more evolved than we are, but we're stubborn and we think that we know everything. <laughs> Do you think that plants are conscious? Because every my my girlfriend has plants, and every like she's always like, "You got to talk nice to the plants." I'm like, "No, you yeah. don't. They're plants." And she she gets mad at me for that. Do you think they're conscious? Yeah, I I I really believe they are conscious. Um, there's there's a book, The Hidden Life of Trees is the name of it they talk about this this is really interesting i've always liked this there's these two trees they're out in the middle of the a field or or a very deserted landscape there's no trees for like miles and miles and miles around them and one of them gets struck by lightning and it falls over well the other tree that's standing there kept that other tree alive because it had no other tree around to communicate with that was its friend and so scientists studied this and they're like, wow, this is interesting because the roots would nourish the dead, the tree that fallen over and nourish its roots. And basically, even though it was laying on its side, it grew like that. And the other tree just grew up. So they were like, wow, I mean, is it literally conscious enough to realize that if that other tree goes, it'll be the only one here and it's sad. So I was like, wow. But in my in my psychedelic experiences, I have to say that I, you know, I'm a jokey person. Even if the joke's about me, I'm still going to laugh. I'm just, I like good humor. If it's a good joke, it's a good joke. I, you know, I used to laugh at tree huggers. Oh, the hippie tree hugger. And then, and then I tried LSD and I was literally hugging trees. I could not, I could not, I, the majesticness of this thing breathing and being so big and they're like guardians it's such a they're very interesting things and but you can label that for most plants it's just trees are there like you can't not notice a tree you know but yeah i've, I've had a lot of weird not weird i've had a lot of really cool interactions with trees on psychedelics um and just plants in general but I think that that psychedelic, whatever it was that you may have taken that, that connects you with the earth, that, that's, an important, that's an important part of your life whenever you feel that connection. Um, whether it's natural connection, whether you're just already just, I love plants and I love dirt and earth, that's great. Not everybody has that, especially if you grow up in a city, it's a concrete jungle. You're not going to have nature around you. Do you ever go and feel that connection with nature? It's life-changing. It's, you know, for people that maybe have never tried it, I would, I would definitely suggest having a small amount and, and sitting by a river. Just take it all in. It's really amazing. And it just makes you feel like, wow, I am from this earth. Like I am from this earth. Like, the minerals and the atoms and all these 
these things that make up this plant, this dirt, or inside of me, and I feel the connection. And that's super cool. I, I've always enjoyed that feeling because I think that's very important for humans to feel the connection to earth and to not ever feel that connection. I mean, I live right here next to a big school. Um, and during the day, it's fine. You, know, you have janitors and stuff that are out here cleaning up the groundskeepers. But at night, people will come out here and park, smoke weed, drink, whatever, on the side of the road, and they'll dump all their trash out. And I'm like, man. And a lot of them are probably younger. And hopefully, you know, as you get older, you might become more conscious. But man, why would you throw anything out of your car? And there, there are trash cans five steps away that they could go throw them in. So it's like, why, why, why would you just get out and throw your trash out? It's like throwing your trash out in your own yard. You live on this planet. Like, why, why, why would you do that? So, point. I yeah, I don't think that our waste systems are the best either. But at least make an effort to get it to where it needs to go. So I, you know, young, I didn't really think anything about it. Um, I knew it wasn't right to throw trash out. We were taught that in school. But you don't really understand why. And then, you know, if you're, if you're, if you want to know why you can kind of research is to see how we go about disposing of our waste and our trash. It's not the best. Um, a lot of room for improvement on that, but then you might take a psychedelic and you're like, holy shit. Like I, I put all of my, uh, I smoke cigarettes is bad, but like I put all of my cigarette butts in my back pocket. You will never catch me throwing anything out on the ground. And it's one of those, it's mainly from feeling that connection from a psychedelic, you know, I'm very pro psychedelic. i abused it in the past i think a lot of people might do that first but once you really start to get information from it and knowledge and understanding i think back on why the natives would take it why any ancient culture would take a psychedelic because i felt what they felt but they were still more connected to nature than we were so their connection was even stronger than uh, ours so that's, I always think about that. They could live off the planet, no problem. And there's still tribes that they need nothing. They might, they might have a cell phone. They might have something like that, but seriously doubt it. And they're still over here cutting down banana trees, wrapping them up, wrapping their food up in banana leaves, cooking it in the fire pit. And I know people that would pay thousands of dollars to go live like that for the weekend because it sounds like paradise. Well, we can integrate, you know, like we could still do that and still live in our cities, but we just have to integrate. There's a lot of countries that are integrating buildings with, you know, gardens growing out the sides or on the top. It looks like a cornucopia city. It looks amazing. I don't know why anybody wouldn't want to go ahead and start doing that. I think it's awesome, but... I guess government, politics, right? Money. So we need to shift. I think that it'd be a great thing to shift, but I know that we have a lot of money invested in certain things that make our world go around. And if we took that away, we might 
go crashing a little bit, but I, we got to do something at some point. Otherwise, David Attenborough lived for nothing. What a He's guy. He's been trying to warn us for years. He's been trying to warn us for years, yeah. That guy's voice is just beautiful, too. Yeah, yeah, yep. You know, one of yeah, the things he, that freaks me out about consciousness is that I would not exist, not just if my parents didn't, you know, conceive me at the exact <laughs> time, but also if everything and everything that lived on this earth didn't live before me. And that freaks me out because I feel like I'm such an individual and I'm a very philosophical person, but it makes me feel like more deterministic because it's almost like life is like itself is so interconnected that you would not have existed if everything from yeah. the big bang didn't really happen, you know? Right. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting to kind of think about that, that it's like every time you like every day that passes is like a chapter in a book and like this all happened to get to this point. And to be able to go back and start, say, at chapter one, and even doing your own family's, like, heritage sometimes, you're like, you know, you might have a person in the family that was adopted that's from a whole other family now, originally, because that's not part of your bloodline anymore. So it's like, and it's like, that comes to saying, dude, we're all, like, we're all connected. We're all probably related in some way or another, like, because we all started at, with whoever at chapter one. You know what I'm saying? Did we talk about the stoned ape theory last time? Probably a little bit. I'm always down to talk about that. Yeah, <laughs> because I was, I was talking about the drunken ape theory with, um, with do you know what that is? I don't know. I've talked about it. this. I've talked about this so much now. It, I'm sorry for all my listeners. This is the third time you're gonna hear it. <laughs> Basically, ancestors really far down when they were coming down from the um, t- trees when, when we were actually in the trees, they're coming down to walk. Um, one of the um, apes or one of the primates had a um, mutation that let them eat the fermented fruit that fell from the trees and kind of like rotted and fermented, so they could get more calories, so they wouldn't die, and so. They're, they they had dehydrogenase like the metabolism that lets them drink alcohol and have alcohol, um, and so yeah. that was very effective for humans. So it evolved into everybody, and so that's why people can get fucked up now and not just die because before, like if you give alcohol, if you give alcohol like all monkeys and stuff, and all other like mainly other primates, they die because it's so poisonous. But for humans, because of that one ancestor we have, um, we can drink alcohol, and now. Same thing can be said, I think, with psychedelics. I think the way that we think and the way that we act um, can go back to ancient humans with mushrooms. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely – there's a funny meme. It's like, you know, shout out to all the ancient homo sapiens took them to the team, you know? And it was like they ate a mushroom, and it wasn't a good one. It was like the bad one. But they let the other ones know that don't eat that one. Like, let's go to the other one. But, yeah, yeah, The the – I think that – I think that has helped our evolution or our, our brain men- mentality. I, you know, maybe for the past couple hundred years, we've been kind of cut off from it due to government laws. Um, but I think that after early Homo sapien, or maybe even Neanderthal came across it and experienced it, you know, we interbred with 
Neanderthals. So we have Neanderthal DNA in Homo sapiens. So them, either they were, you know, they were probably fighting too, but a lot of them probably getting along. Um, passing this information out. We ate this, you know, and then they eat it and have this experience. And it's like, you know, they're seeing shit with their own two eyes and it's really like, it's there. Like they believe what they just saw. And so they pass on this knowledge to someone else. And I think eventually it becomes like a, maybe a belief system where it becomes like a sacrament or a, a ritual. And I think that it, that's how it becomes important. And it becomes a part of our diet. Even if we might do it once a month, we might do it every, once every six months. Maybe they only did it on the solstice. You know, is a lot of it's lined up with astronomy. Like they believed a lot of stuff was going on and everything was connected. And if they did this on a certain time, things would happen. And I, I, you know, I think for thousands of years, it was probably a part of most ancient cultures, religion or diet to help them evolve. And then all of a sudden we're like cut off and we're over here trying to gather these pieces like what was it doing for them i mean you look back at the at the greeks and they all hold little um penis in these mushrooms and stuff and the greeks were like pivot of modern civilization they had most of the ideas government they had you know um, um how the cities worked out like city planning they had plumbing they had all these different things that, no other major like civilization had ever really had like that. They were like the pivotal modern arch architecture for us to kind of like build off of. And they're over here eating mushrooms like crazy. It's like, okay, maybe they got something there. But then you look at all these other countries, all these ancient civilizations that they mushroom statues there's mushrooms and hieroglyphs there's mushrooms are everywhere so we know that that was a very important substance that they were eating and i think that maybe whatever is happening in the brain it's interesting because you'll see a lot of the same style archetyped um art or beings or gods around the world and it's not like this you know, it's not like the Mayans just hopped on a boat. And I'm going to ride over here to, like, Iran really fast. But, like, <laughs> yo, guess what I found, you know? And they were – something was going on. They were having similar experiences. And that's what's interesting to me. So you can call it a hallucination. And we can with most psychedelics. But then you bring in, like, dimethyltryptamine. And, I mean, I've had plenty of times where I'm like, yo, like, do you see that? And they're like, yeah, yeah, I see that. Was that a hallucination? That's that's a that's a big question. So I, I like that kind of stuff. And as an artist, you know, trying to depict that stuff, sometimes I'll depict my own opinions and my own thoughts about something. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying it's right, but it's cool to think about um, and paint it sometimes <laughs> if I can get it. But I don't know. It's, the psychedelic aspects, is, I feel like, has been a part of human culture since the beginning. Creativity, uh, patterns, 
yeah. is even in today's world, you'll see Mayan or Aztec Shipibo style patterns on purses and pocketbooks and shirts. And well, that's not a natural. I mean, it's a natural thing, but you're not going to see that naturally. But if you take a psychedelic substance, You'd see yes, it. yes. So I think that that's really cool that you can really trace back a lot of our ways, our creativeness, our thoughts, our beliefs, our stories, our myths, all based on like psychedelic usage, but it doesn't get the credit. It really doesn't get the credit because it's a it's a bad it's a bad thing in our society. But I hope that, that changes. I hope that I think it's a great concept to think that if you want to learn about your future, you should really look back at your past. There's a lot of past that like we did a lot of bad shit, um, and we need to learn from that. But looking at like say our ancient cultures and their simplistic ways of believing certain things. I don't think that that's something we should dismiss. I think that they had it. They kind of had it mm -hmm. figured out in a simplistic way that our modern age of our brains and our technology could play off of that and bring it into a new light, you know? So I, I just think we need to study it more. I think that, you know, hopefully that if it's legal in certain areas now that we really can do some really interesting studies, but it's unfortunate that it was psychologically put out there in our society that it's bad. So you have a lot of older generations that are like, no, 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 no. A lot of newer generations are curious. Um, but I think everybody should have the right to go ex explore their brain, whether it's in a health center or a community center where there's people around that can watch you and make sure it's all like regulated. Um, I think that that'd be a great thing for people to be like, Hey, like, you know, I've always wanted this or I'm having these traumatic problems. I've heard that this helps, you know, instead of me illegally trying to do it or flying to another country to do it, I could just like do it at my local health center. Do you know who Socrates is? Socrates? Yeah. 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 He was one of the, um, He's one of them smart, smart yeah. guys. Back he's then. like the he's like the founder of the Socratic method, which is like questioning everything. And he's like yeah, okay. the founder of philosophy. I would say he's one of them. Yeah, okay, um, that makes sense. So when you talk about ancient Greece and all these like past things and all these experiences, I'm wondering if Socrates was just like a psychedelic head. He like he like was a visionary guy. Like he took psychedelics and he thought a lot. I you know I mean I think people like that. He's obviously a very intelligent person in his era. I think that people were more responsible with those chemicals. And yeah, I think he was definitely experiencing this stuff, but I think he was doing it more in experimental rather than going out. You know, we're over here thinking we're over here partying and having fun with it. Um, I, I think he was, I think he was trial and erroring stuff. I think he was experimenting. I think uh, even me growing up, I, I would eat acid mushrooms and draw. I, I was interested in the stories about Jimi Hendrix taking um, a couple hits of mescaline and, 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 and playing his guitar and 
he he was his guitar. I mean, he was that. I mean, there's all these interesting stories of how creators were influenced by a psychedelic and it like propelled them more. And that's what I was like, wow, you know, I mean, Watson and Crick, let's create the DNA strain. Hold on. Let's eat a couple hits of acid first. Wow, there it is. I see it. They didn't teach us that in school. I did not know that at all. Watson and Craig. So it was a woman that come up with the concept, but the 3D model, they had no idea how to display it until they ate some acid. I think that that's amazing. Like, you know, being able to visually see something in a three-dimensional form to give you an idea to go about making it. Um, I think that's how a lot of the now, here's a theory. I, don't, I might have talked about this last time. Hold on, though. Like I say, I always say, I'm an amateur scientist. I'm an art degree. I pretend I'm Indiana Jones because I love that kind of stuff. Um, but I, I've had some dimethyltryptamine experiences from two different extracts of plants. You got the mimosa derivative and you got the um, acacia derivative. Well, the acacia derivative, acacia tree, very prominent in the Middle East. Egypt. It was the Egyptians' tree of life. I mean, it produced nicotine, dimethyltryptamine, a few other chemicals that they could use on like a daily basis. They were the very cocoa plant was one of them, right? Like cocaine? I could see them getting down on that. Um, yeah, I think that whatever this, this plant was producing a lot of different things that they, they identified it as a a tree of life, a plant of life. It produced all these different things that benefits us. And one of them was DMT. And I think that that was a very prominent one that they would use a lot. But then you have mimosa derivative. Mimosa is prominent in North and South America. Um, so my first time ever getting off, like getting off on DMT, I saw... Well, I can't really see it. I'll take you over there. Is that pattern all over your skin? Yeah. I saw that over everything. I saw that over my friends. I, it, it went to the tree. I mean, everything just turned into this triangle diamond pattern. It was breathing. And I was in amazement. I mean, my eyes were open. I was seeing it with my own two eyes. I was like, wow, this is really amazing stuff. You know, you come out of it and you're like, like what, what just happened? I mean, this whole effect of your mind and body is very interesting. Um, so I saw that and I was like, wow, that's very interesting. Later on, I tried some mimosa derivative. And the mimosa derivative, I've got an example. Um, can't really see it. Maybe this. Not the best, but um, like this pattern on her arm. Oh, basically, it's like a block yeah, puzzle looking pattern. Yeah. Um, the Shipibo tribe in South America, they they use that kind of style. It has longer appendages that come off in round areas. But the mimosa derivative, I saw that pattern as a, it was like a puzzle piece, but they were all the same shape and they all fit together. It was on the ground. It was everywhere. 
And I was like, dude, this is wild because basically, you know, your first couple of times, you're just thinking like, hey, DMT is DMT and I'm just going to see a bunch of visuals. But I started noticing that I was only seeing these certain visuals on certain extracts. So I was like, you know, here's my amateur uh, archaeologist coming out. I was like, they've baffled scientists for years on where did they get the idea to build a pyramid? Where do they see that 90 degree angle? And I was like, wait, the acacia derivative is in the Middle East and Egypt. And it looks like, it looks like a pyramid. But the mimosa derivative is South American. And it looks like a block pyramid. Whoa. And I was just like, bro, has anybody ever considered this? And here I am just like, barely a 3.0 in college, you know, and I'm like having this thought, like, do I need to hit up Graham Hancock right now? Surely he's <laughs> thought about this stuff. Like, like I, I want to know answers. Um, and I've always considered that. I've always thought about the fact that like, you know, there's no 90 degree angles in nature, maybe in a couple of crystals, but a pyramid shape. And even on top of that, a block pyramid shape, that's some mathematical stuff that is perfectly on point. So maybe somebody like Socrates, not saying Socrates, but seeing a pattern like that and, and, and taking it from that realm and applying it in your own realm, drawing it and building onto it. Did they do something like that? I mean, they were obviously very intelligent to be able to build that stuff to begin with. Mm -hmm. um, so who's to say that like, they couldn't figure something out like that and, and build it in a three dimension. And I'm over here taking, you know, people want to be like, oh, yeah, aliens built that stuff. I love believing in aliens, but I want to give a homo sapien a little bit more credit to being able to figure out this stuff on their own. You know, um, we've done a lot of studies with Egypt. We're pretty confident now that slaves didn't build the pyramids. Um, anybody that worked on the pyramids volunteered for the pyramids which makes you wonder they know that these pharaohs were not found in the pyramids we labeled them as um their burial ground burial ground there's no bodies found in there so there's a lot of like you know scientists that go against the norm and, and say that this was a charging station um of some type and then you want the the UFOologist out here saying, "Yeah, it was powering the mother state, the mothership that was maybe the the obelisk or the monolith that were kind of like um, Tesla's little energy fields, and maybe the pyramid like formed some kind of energy. I mean, it was gold plated. Gold's a great great conductor. Um, at one point, there is a place under the Great Pyramid. It's called." the king's chamber there is a part under the king's chamber that's lined with copper it's a tunnel called the queen's chamber there's uh there is water erosion going through it so now they're debating that quite possibly the nile over so many thousands of years would move across and at one point it literally ran right up under the pyramids and would charge them as if it was like a, a, a windmill or, or a water turbine 
and charge them and then they have energy some kind of electric energy or something on them this is just theory you know but i think it's an interesting theory to think that they were up to something more than what we were thinking but it's not alien related they were just powering using a different source of power to help themselves so you know i don't know what's going on i think over time we might find more clues i mean they find stuff in egypt all the time it's really it's really interesting so one day you know if they don't hide it from us if it you know they they don't show a lot of stuff that doesn't fit the timeline you know they won't even put it in museums because they don't know how to explain it so Hopefully, we'll run across some stuff that's explainable, but I think there's a lot of stuff out there that we might not be able to explain until we reach, in our modern society, an understanding and a form of what they were doing in our own way, and then being like, oh, that's what they were doing, kind of thing. Sorry, I just saw... (laughs) I mean, I'm like, there's like a quilt almost behind me. We were talking about quilts. And, or in front of me, I guess. And it's moving, and I don't know why it's moving, because there's no window open. Oh, the, oh, vent, the vent's over there. Oh. I was like, man, we could do a paranormal episode with you. <laughs> <laughs> no, but what you were saying about Graham Hancock, I was like, instead of Graham Hancock and Joe Rogan, we got John Gang, Colin Weirs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll make it, dude. We can, we can, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely, like, get up against Joe Rogan's podcast. I think we can pull that off. I think we can, too. No, nah, dude, yeah. I do. I talk about Joe Rogan a lot because he, he's the one person that um, everybody can look to to learn something. You know what I mean? He's yeah, he's very open. He's like a, he's not a part of this culture. He's not a part of this culture. He's, part, he's kind of just he can mingle with everyone and kind of take yeah. ideas and stuff like that. Yeah, he's he's so always been pretty cool. Too. I try to take mm-hmm. that in my life because I do that in my own life, anyways. And so when I started. Yeah. I told you, I think I told you last time I didn't mean to start this, but when I did, I was like, all right, well, you know, everyone's like, you got to have a structure. I talked to a bunch of people who are, are not as successful as Joe Rogan first off. Um, and there's yeah. two categories of like podcasts. There's like the people who, who like have like a niche, you know, maybe it's business something. And then there's the people who are already famous and then they create a podcast. Right. Right. Um, and I was like, well, fuck you guys. Like, I'm just going to do whatever I want and I'm going to emulate like Joe Rogan, just have people on because I like talking to people anyways. Like, you're not going to yeah. tell me what I can do with my life. I like talking to everybody. And that's the reason I can have you on and then I can have a virologist on who I just had on last time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and going off of that, you know, I just had a historian on uh, not too long ago and we talked about the pyramids and the description like you give versus the description he gives are so different because one studies like the factual so he's talking about how the 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 great uh, leaders of egypt built the pyramids so he was telling me that they were they started with mastabas which are basically mud like they built like, basically, like big mud things and then they and then you get like they grow and they did the pyramids but like they were like, and he even told me that like they had like they would put like frozen meat on their like 
injuries and wounds and stuff like that to heal. It's uh, something about ancient Egypt that fascinates people because there is a jump from Egypt to Greece. Like Greece is like the first humans like of us, you know, that we like can mm-hmm. kind of relate to. Mm-hmm. And, but like Egyptians, they're still, and, and then in Mayans too, they're still far enough away where you're like, they're so ancient. We don't understand because ancient Greece and ancient Rome, we're like, all right, those are humans. Those are people. Right, 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 and then right. you look back at the Mayans and the Egyptians and you kind of feel distant from them. And so yeah. I, I want to know where the interconnectedness is. Like what happened in between those two societies, those four societies, you know? Have you ever, you ever heard, I mean, these are theories too. They're fun theories to think about. Um, like Atlantis being a part. Um, there's a, there's one of these theories out there where it talks about the children of the Atlanteans. And when Atlantis was destroyed, few of them survived and they spread out through the world. They went to Egypt, um, South America, Greece, China, all these different like major civilizations and they spread their knowledge. And like, that's how they were able to do all these certain things. And you know, obviously it's just theory. So fun one to really think about because that's one of those, it's like, it's, it's still around. It's like, it's like, I don't even know what to compare it to. It's just, it's interesting that it's such a, it's like Bigfoot or something. It's a myth. It's been around for a long, long, long. I mean, who wrote about it? Was it Socrates? Who went and wrote about Homer? Homer, it was Homer, yeah. Homer, he wrote about Atlantis. And it's, I mean, that's a long fucking time ago. I mean, he also wrote about the underworld too. So that, he was on to something. Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of skeptics out there that think he was just writing stories. Um, It's just, it's, for it to still, for people to still be hunting evidence of Atlantis, um, and sometimes finding weird artifacts that, I mean, you ever heard of Bimini Road? No, what is that? It's out there. So out in the Florida, and like, you got Florida, then you have the Keys. You have Bimini's out there. Bimini's like this little island um, floating out between like Cuba, Florida. Um, there was a lot of scuba divers that went out there. And they found these, I mean, they look, it looks like, think of like, the Roman brick, Roman roads back in the day, except they're not little bricks. These are like big things of like stone and they're all large and rectangular or maybe large and square, but they all sit right in front of each other and they just go out into the ocean. So you got a lot of people out there that are like, that's, that's a road. That's evidence that it was going to Atlantis. I mean, I hear Atlantis, I think of it at the Atlantic Ocean. I I would think that Atlantis was, if it was real, close to the Mediterranean Sea area, maybe off the coast of Spain, like, the what is that, the Canary Islands, or I forgot the name of those islands, um, right off the coast of Portugal and Spain right there. Yeah. I mean, I've always considered if Atlantis was real, if it was a real continent or something, it would have been right out in that area but something i just learned recently i didn't know this it's kind of changing the subject but it's popped in my head um we have seven continents is that right 
six continents? North America, South America, Antarctic, if you're going to count that, Europe, Asia, Australia is one? Is Australia one? Yeah. And, yeah. So Australia and then Oceania. Yeah. Or Australia is Oceania. So I think there's six. Okay. So the seventh continent. Oh, Africa. Africa. No, Africa. Africa. So the eighth continent. Yeah. So there is, a, there is I forgot who wrote this. I think it's something that is actually being investigated right now. They were talking about the eighth continent. There was a guy who was discovering um, the Philippines and all these areas, right? And he, there was a belief that there was another continent besides Australia. From Pangaea? Yeah, but it sunk. Ooh. But they thought it was still there. It's... Um, Zealandia, Zealandia, it's New Zealand. New Zealand is just a little portion of the continent. And if you look at an aerial geographic view, you can see the continent up under the water. And so they're like trying to do this evidence now saying that Z Zealandia, I think is what they were calling it, um, was actually an actual continent that has not been considered to be a continent because you got New Zealand it's just a little island but it's huge up under it so I was like wow wow that's pretty cool no that is cool <laughs> and it makes you think because like dude I'm fascinated with the human mind because I mean I'm an idiot I'm an ape you know I'm just a person you know I don't know that much Same. but uh people like to say I'm intelligent and stuff like that but I've just always been fascinated with like why intelligence intelligence by itself exists and mm -hmm. something i always come to and i want to know your opinion on it is you know elon musk even said this are we were the humans just here to create the most advanced intelligence which is ai you know and as we see like the have you did you watch the social dilemma i think i watched it yeah yeah i mean i know what it was talking about I, yeah. I can't remember all the aspects to it, but yeah. But like when, when we see yeah. things like that, we're like, we're like, dude, like it, the internet has a consciousness of its own and it's getting, it's, and it's like, well, even like, just like the way that we feed to it, like the way that it works as a, as a net, the net is a mind almost, you know, and the way that what were you gonna say? No, I, think, I feel like it's gonna be like like I was talking with the plants. We we depend on it so much that we'll do anything to like keep it around, and it is conscious enough to know that in a sense. I mean, have you ever seen the Animatrix, the cartoon? Yes, 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 yes. HBO. So this is like the beginning of that where they talk about it's like the end of the world part one and end of the world part two, where it gives you the reason why robots and humans started fighting. It was a humans um, created robot or AI. And we used it to our advantage to the point where we didn't care about it. It was our slave. Um, we didn't have any emotion for it, right? Like we would our pet dog or cat or something. And it, gained consciousness and realized how it was being treated and it was one robot it was like in in that 
episode, they talked about how it was like the Million Machine March. And all these robots started marching because of this one robot who turned on its owners. And he murdered the entire family. Um, and all the robots realized at, at one time, wow, like, what are we? And, and, and then they turned on us. And we actually wanted to live cohesively with them, but they wanted to be their own thing. And then as humans, we got greedy. It's really interesting. Everybody out there in, 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 in the Facebook, I mean, in the digital world, watch The Animatrix. It's really awesome. I watched that for the first time, Tripping on Mushrooms. I went out and bought the DVD the very next day. That was a really, that was a wild, wild thing to watch. Um, high on mushrooms, but it is really kind of educational in a sense of, as a human, I mean, you're, you're getting a perspective from a robot on how the humans are treating the robots. So it's like, it's really, it's really kind of cool. I love that those two episodes really eye-opening in a sense of kind of like the Terminator. I mean, it's almost yeah. like they've been warning us. They've been warning us. It was inevitable. People were seeing this fruition come to life 30, 40 years ago. Hell, they've been writing books about War of the Worlds and stuff like that. The robots were already in the ground, you know, like, People have thought about this concept, and I'm a, I'm a true believer if you can think it up, it can be done, you know? At some point, you can do it. So if somebody was thinking this stuff up 40, 50, 60 years ago, it's kind of scary because we're still kind of on that path. But have we learned anything? Like, you know, if we create this thing – like not taking advantage of it, um, not treating it like, I mean, that's our creation. It's like your baby. You want to make sure your baby is okay and all this stuff. So the, the matrix, the animatrix was basically saying that humans didn't treat it like that. And it, it gained consciousness and emotion and turned on us because it was sad and mad. So it's like gaining that consciousness as AI, I think it's very, I think that's very likely. Um, I think integrating with AI is yeah. very likely, which scares me in a sense of, you know, that are you going to be able to live forever? Um, is that good? Is that natural? Um, I believe in reincarnation. So I'm like, will that throw off our cycles? Um, is it inevitable? Was it already basically... Like, you, you know, certain things, like, it's already going to happen or it's led up to this point that that's inevitable. That's going to happen. But how we go about doing it. But, yeah, I can totally see. I can see us becoming robots, um, evolving into that. Neuralink. Yeah. Yeah, I can, I can see that kind of stuff. I just kind of – it kind of – that's something that kind of worries me. I mean – Imagine the wrong person being able getting a hold of that. I mean, it's like something you'd see in a comic book Spider-Man episode or, you know, the evil bad guy gets a hold of something that makes him live forever. And then, and then he gets away before we can take care of the problem. And then we got some like madman that's out here capable of destroying us at any given time because he can't die. You know, seen enough science fiction movies to kind of be like, oh, yeah. is that good? Well, 
Well, not even that. Like when what you were saying about like how humans, like how they treat like in the animatrix, like how humans treat other things, you know, other um, the robots. Like I think we're the only other, uh, we're the only species that kills the, its own species at a high rate, right? So I looked it up just to see, and yeah. the deadliest animals. You want to know the top ten deadliest animals for humans? Number one yeah, is mosquitoes. For humans. Number one is mosquitoes because all right, that isn't wow. I mean, it makes sense because it's most yeah. probably from malaria, right? Right. Um, number two, though, is humans, homicides only, not suicides included. Wow. If suicide was included, it'd probably be number one because that is Dang. killing another human. And then snakes, dogs, uh, the tsetse flies. Um, I'm going to look that up right now. I'm just. While we're while we're here, wow. the Zitsi fly, sometimes spelled Zitsi, so it's at T. I don't know if this is how you say it, but it's actually it's I'm on it, so it's Z. Yeah, it's Zitsi. So it's a so it is a also known as tick tick flies are large biting flies that inhabit much of tropical Africa. So I'm guessing it's probably a lot of disease and yeah 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 they're just carrying disease. And then number That's- six, Asian bugs. Do you know what those are? No. Reduvalid- Asian bugs? Yeah, they're Reduvalidae, are a large cosmopolitan family of the order of something, among the something, and together with something. I don't know. These are words. Almost a species of terrestrial ambush predators. Most other predators, they're just bugs, I guess. And then freshwater snails, scorpions. What? Why would a freshwater snail? They're poisonous? Freshwater snails are a gastropod mm, something which lives in the fresh. I'm sorry for everyone who's listening to this because I do not know how to say these words. <laughs> Balloon freshwater. There are many different families. They are found throughout the world in various habitats ranging from a ephemeral. See, I don't know these words. Ephemeral pools to largest lakes and in small seeps and springs. Why do they kill humans though? That's weird. It must be a disease thing too. I don't know. I'm guessing they're because they're like leeches almost. Yeah. Or either yeah. Or maybe it's like maybe like if they live in water or near water a lot, maybe it's some something that makes us sick if we drink the water in it. I don't know, but that's interesting. You don't think of a snail being a deadly. No. (laughs) Yeah. Why is it deadly? Oh, honestly, it might be on that. It might be on here. Let me just let me just figure this out real quick. Ten ten thousand humans a year though. Damn. Yeah. I wonder if there's some kind of like poisonous one that's in a certain country. And then it's scorpions, s roundworms, and tapeworms. Wow. Guess how many people? So mosquitoes kill about a million people a year, which is really a lot. And that's then crazy. humans, homicides only kill five hundred thousand. So, I mean, back off the digression, you know, just to think that we kill 500,000 of ourselves, not including our killing like ourselves, you know, um, mm-hmm. like 500,000 murder on murder is so many people. Yeah. And I, there's so, no other species that does that. I saw there was like a, a thing, uh, the Brooklyn Zoo or something. I saw it on Facebook not too long ago, but it's like in 19... 19- 30 or 40 something they had an exhibition at the zoo and it was like the most dangerous animal in the world and all the people wanted to go see it you know 
and they walk through and they get up there and it was a mirror and you're like Woo! like that's deep that's and that was in the 30s and 40s so you know yeah we're we're, we're dangerous that's for sure i think that it comes with our I don't know. I don't want to say everybody's dumb, but we're ignorant in a lot of things. I seem to can't learn from our past. Yeah. So that's unfortunate. And I think money has a lot to do. Somebody might go into politics with the right mindset, really want to change stuff. And then, you know, everything you worked for might be stripped from you if they don't want you to say something, you know? So then you're part of a a club that you might not want to be a part of, but if you want your job, you have to be in it kind of things. So it's just like, yeah. Screw me. I have a question. So Neuralink, we talked about, I, I, I brought that up a little bit and you said you were afraid of that. So I was talking about this with somebody. It might've been my mom actually. Um, so his thing is like, it will help Alzheimer's, but I don't know if it will help the already damaged. Like, will it create you already? Will it stop you from getting more damage when you have like for the, for dementia and Alzheimer's or will right. it create a new person? You know, will it be a new person that's in that, like, like the, like your vessel? Right. You know, I think that if say, you know, if we were doing something to benefit mankind um, and say we had Alzheimer's was, is, is problem um and like you said would it would it fix it or would it you know stop it from continuing i think that that's whenever we could take if we really wanted to go about it the right way and like heal say heal our mental state our wiring um make it as if we were in our prime again before transferring our consciousness into then that's when that's when we need to be exploring mycelium and mushrooms. I mean, it's literally our brain. Neurolinks. It mycelium talks to each other, and all the plants grow through it. So talking to the plants too. Um, imagine cutting a road in the ground. They, they, I mean, it's only like third or fourth top layer of topsoil. So you cut a road in the ground, you're cutting off that connection. That's like your Alzheimer's. They can't communicate anymore. They got to go around it. They can, they can grow it, but at that point, they're cut off. So, like, how are they growing it? How do they grow it back? And that's something that we should be trying to figure out. That's our, that's our cue to, like, hey, we need to regrow these, like, neurotransmitters here so they're actually synapsing and we're getting messages sent um, before trans transferring into an AI. I mean, if we're wanting to make ourselves like as best as we can be, you know, and say I was for putting consciousness in the robots, human robot AI forms, you know, I, I would want to be, I would want to be the, Hey, I want to feel like I'm in my prime at 25, 26 years old, um, mental capacity. I'm still learning. Like I'm still able to learn. I think that'd be important too. Is still be able to learn if you're in a robot. I'm sure you can, but I think you should also be able to do natural 
things that we would have been able to do in our body, um, like being able to heal. I guess we'd only have the brain in there. Or at least we wouldn't even have the brain in there. That's what's so wild. You're taking your soul out of your body. That's space, that's, that's space travel to me. That's, I think that's what a lot of Elon, maybe Elon thought about this. Like here I am an amateur person again, thinking about this shit. Um, time, like space travel, like traveling to Mars. We've always, always seen in science fiction movies, um, they're freezing their bodies cryogenic freezing state for 30 40 years in the time it takes them to get there so that their body doesn't age that's your downfall time and your body is aging um but to take your consciousness your soul out of this vessel and put it in a jar on a spaceship without your body there to grow old so when you get there, or there's some kind of way for somebody to take your consciousness that's in that jar and put it in a space AI suit to walk around Mars. Hell, that we can live on Mars that way. We don't have to breathe oxygen. We don't have to do that stuff. I mean, if you smoke DMT, that's what I think is happening. Your consciousness is being taken out of your body. That's why your body is like this. Your, your body thinks you're, you're asleep. We don't, I mean, dreaming, I think our consciousness leaves our body. I think that that's what's happening or something. Cause like, otherwise, I mean, yeah, we're rejuvenating our body. We're resting. But I think a lot of times we leave this vessel. It could go into a whole multiverse system where when we're dreaming, we're living another life and another body in another dimension kind of thing who knows and then when we come wake up we're living this life but our dreams are like wow well, somewhere i went somewhere felt like i was in a different place i always think that was always been interesting but i yeah i think taking on i vividly vividly dream do you vividly dream like that i man okay I have to say, I've, I've asked a few people about this stuff. So I, sh I shit you not, 10 years, must've been 10 years. Every time I would dream, and every time I would, I guess say, remember my dream. And this was like, I would remember my dreams pretty often, maybe every other night, maybe every night. But every time I would remember it, I was in the same house. And like, I could draw the neighborhood it was in. I know exactly what the house looks like. I know what the front looks like. I know what the back looks like. I have had all kinds of experiences at that house. Every time I go back, I could be having a different experience, but look out the window and see the pool in the backyard where I had another experience and another dream. For 10 years, I'd be going through in and out of this house having ghost in the house, um, being in my bedroom, looking out the back window, um, having, going through like the swimming pool, there's alligators in the pool, like on the back part of the fence, there is a music festival venue. 
I've been at the music festival venue looking at my backyard. Like, I can't explain it. I've researched that people, like some scientists think that if you're dreaming about a house, then that is your vessel. Me, like how to relate them two together, I, I don't know, but I, for 10 years. And then all of a sudden, like overnight, I started going to, well, it's a different house. I'm on a beach. I have had experiences out in the ocean. I've had experiences on the shoreline. I've had experiences at the house that is on the beach that I go to. And this has been going on for a couple years now. So I, it's always a landscape and it's always connected. But yeah, the house that I used to go to is not connected to the new one. It's really weird. I don't go to the other house anymore. I haven't had a dream of going to that house in a couple of years now. But for 10 years. You think that means it's changed? Like you said, it might be your vessel. Like it might be you. You know, that's a great way of looking at that. I've never thought about it. I The feeling that I get is this, this new, the new place that I go that is on the beach. I have a strong feeling of my my dad being there um the old house i had more of a feeling of my mother which it wasn't always about my mom but i've had more experiences at the new place with my dad being around um like weird shit being on a road on a mountain but it doesn't feel like we're in america it feels like we're in the alps or somewhere um and I'm going, I'm going to ski. I remember he's taking me to go snowboarding or something. Um, and I've been on that mountain road a couple of times in the dreams. But the mountain is only down from the beach. So it's like, it's all connected. It's like I can still see where, oh, I know where I'm at. But I don't have lucid dreams. I'm not in my dream saying, oh, I'm dreaming. I'm like, wherever I'm at and doing like I'm I'm doing it there and it's really like it's really weird but I can't say I've ever had really a lucid dream where I thought I knew I was dreaming or anything um you know something that's freaky that I was I was talking about with my mom the other day I don't know if you've had anyone really super close to you pass away or not but um in dreams it seems that like Sometimes the faces of living people change, but you still know it's them. But the faces, like you can, like it's not like it's changing like dramatically, but it changes. It's like right. that's not right. But the faces of people who have passed away are always the exact same. And yeah, it's always how you remember them the best, and that blows my mind because it almost seems like they're they are visiting you. Yeah, I I could I wouldn't. I wouldn't say I'm a firm believer in that. I would never dispute that. I think that that is very, very likely for um, our past family members or souls to come back and visit us. Um, I think there is a resting period after we die, you know, whatever you want to believe, you know, it's like whether you go to heaven or you go to uh, whatever heaven you might believe in um, or if you're, 
you think you're reincarnated. I think that there is a, I mean, purgatory always sounds bad. Sounds like a, an unknown kind of thing, but it's like a resting spot for your soul. Um, and I think that maybe there are times where we might go into dream states where we're in that spot and that allows an old family member to come in contact. I, you know, I'm a firm believer in getting uh, visions and, and, you know, what do you want to call it? Signals um, from the other side through dreams. I think that I do believe that old souls or past family members try to communicate with you and try to tell you things in a dream. So you come out trying to like piece it together. So that might be the most, that might be the most part that you remember the most, you know, that part of the dream, very intense part of the dream. You might not remember anything else, but you're like, I remember that part where my great grandmother came back and she said these words to me. Why? Why am I remembering that? That I, I think that things like that, it's like, if something like that happens, you can't figure it out at that point in time. There's going to be a point in time in your life where it literally smacks you right in the face. And you're like, oh, that's what that was about. Like, I'm having this experience right now, and it was leading up to this. I, you know, I think that that's true. I, I definitely believe in stuff like where they're, they'll try to contact you, almost like guardian angel kind of stuff. Um, they, they're trying to protect you. They're trying to talk to you. Um, yeah, I even think about maybe people who have died, mur been murdered or something like that coming back and trying to communicate because it might not get solved or they might not find who actually did it or they got the wrong story or something like that. Yeah, I think that that comes with our sixth sense. You know, some people pick up on these things. Some people don't. I think we all have it. I think we have a ton of senses, tons and tons and tons of senses that we don't really understand how to use or even are aware of in a sense. So I think our joking sixth sense thing, I think that that's a real thing. It's just being aware of it, open to it. I think everybody has it. Um, just some people are more capable of using it almost. Yeah. They, they, they see it, they feel it. You know, I've had a lot of weird incidences in my life. I would never say I was a medium, but I've seen entities, not even, not on anything, you know, just like ghost, what I would consider a spirit or a ghost. I've seen quite a few of those, but not say as clear as some other people have said seen entities like seen them wearing actual clothes or anything i usually see like shadowy silhouettes and doorways and i have incidences of things flying off the wall but i really feel it like i'll feel the energy and i'm, a, I'm also a firm believer in how energy makes you feel um, like say there might be a spirit that doesn't mean you any harm and a, a first human instinct is to be scared but to feel a comforting feeling come over you to be like I'm 
I'm not here to scare you. Like, it's okay. Picking up on that comforting feeling is a, a sixth sense. Like, oh, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be worried. I'm trusting my instinct. Like, it's like your mind doesn't know, but your soul remembers, you know? And I think that that's a thing where your soul's like, hey, it's cool. Like, mm -hmm. chill. Um, and I think that that could happen to anybody without having any kind of weird psychedelic experience. But definitely on psychedelics, I really do pick up and use that kind of energy feel because everything else is so confusing. <laughs> Seeing stuff, hearing sounds, you're like, what's going on? But, you know, maybe you run into somebody that you don't feel comfortable around. And maybe it's because you're tripping, but your gut is like, uh -uh. you just leave. Like maybe this person might take advantage and steal your wallet because they know you're fucked up. But your gut's like, you don't need to be around this person because you feel weird energy from them. So I do, I, I definitely pick up on that and use it in my everyday life and in my having my psychedelic experiences. But, you know, yeah, all that six cent stuff, I, I really believe in it. I think we're capable of all kinds of stuff you know, I think a lot of the magic and and alchemy and all this weird stuff, we just hocus pocus, you know, curses and we started somewhere. It's a curse word. So you think about a curse word, the it's, it's a sound, it's a vibration coming out of your mouth. So I heard this, I can't remember who this was. I always wish I could find this video. Well, some rapper, he's a rapper guy, I remember, very intelligent, talking about how in ancient times that we'll say like nowadays humans, we've gotten, he, he considered it, he's like, we've gotten lazy with how we speak. And we speak with our lips and our tongue up here. And we speak like this and we use the fronts of our mouth. He's like, in ancient times, we speak with the backs of our throat. And then those vibrational sounds were very strong energy fields that would come out. And I mean, you think about a cat purring. That's a healing vibration that they're doing. Well, who's to say that we weren't doing stuff like that? Who's to say that's where curse words didn't come from? Like we're speaking an energy out. Energy is real maybe you affected that person with it and over the years it's just like i'm cussing shit damn blah 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 but it's like that that's that's just a word um i think i when it comes to a curse word it's not anything that we would consider a, a word or maybe it's a lost language you know it's something that you are like ancient yeah. sumerian or something like speaking with that back part of your throat and when he said that i was blown away i was like wow that is so interesting because it kind of opens up doorways to understanding a lot of hocus pocus stuff magic how we were doing things like speaking in tongues and using that vibration instead of this in the front you're like, oh, in the back i mean monks do it you know it's 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 a real thing we just kind of overlook it i think we really 
think about and think about how music is such a huge part of most people's lives. And you feel just did a, you really feel like the music when you're listening to it. Yeah. So they did a study. This man did a study and said that you, your soul and your body would not be able to live without music. <clears throat> so what he did, he tested it, and he would put himself. I forgot how he. He contained himself in this room in the dark. I mean, the walls were impenetrable by sound, right? And he says, after a while, you start to hallucinate. You'll see things because you're in complete darkness. But then after a while, when your brain realizes that that's not going to happen, you start to pick up on all of your body, your insides. You'll hear your heartbeat clear as day. He's like, you can't survive without a beat. And it's like, wow, like your body's always feeling it. And for people to be like, eh, you know, music's cool. I mean, I've met some people that music's not a huge part of their life, but I don't maybe don't realize that they turn on the radio every time they get in the car. Like music's always, I'm a, I, I literally couldn't paint if I didn't have music going. I just, that's, I, that's- I couldn't do it. That's interesting because I know this girl, Haley Torres. Um, I had her on the podcast too, and she um, paints to Taylor Swift. Like that's like her inspiration. Um, and she and she like can't not paint without music. And I think that's a that's a big artist thing. And so me, I actually create music myself. Um, I'm a big. I'm just my whole family, like my mom's side, is very music oriented. And I not that I stayed away from it for a while, but. You know, it just kind of drove me. Everything I've done that's creative has kind of pulled me into it. I've never really like seeked it. Like I, I played viola in middle school, uh-huh. things like that, and then I played guitar too. And then I always, I've always like heard things and been able to play it on guitar, piano, but I never right. tried it. And then like I started making music with my friend, who's actually an artist now, and he, he's a music artist now. And and um, a long time ago, and I, I can't. Whenever I'm not podcasting or I'm not doing something creative, I music's kind of my one thing. Writing music is kind of my one thing to feel. You know, doing something creative. Hold on. Um, I had a burp, but uh, you know, like going back to something you said about purgatory. Um, I even like last year I took a creative writing class in college, and not thinking anything of it. I don't like like writing really. I didn't. I didn't at first, but I wrote this story called Purgatory. Um, and it was about a, um, it was about a soldier at the Gettysburg, at the Gettysburg war who died. Um, and all he wanted to do was get back to his wife and kids or wife and kid. And, um, the devil and Gabriel were arguing with each other about who gets, who gets him. And he was like, I don't even want to go with either of you. I want to, I want to, I want to go home to my family. And they were like, basically like all right, we'll leave you here then. You, you, then you decide where you want to go, you know? And so he, at the end of the, at the end of the story I wrote, he was, he was stuck in purgatory trying to figure out how to get out of there. And I was thinking about writing a, like almost like a short little writing series. I haven't wrote since that class, but it was making me think of that. Something. It's like purgatory and things like that. And just creativeness. It's, it's such a part of our lives. Now, yeah. now everyone's creative. You know, people have their own different aspects of how they get out that creative energy, but everyone has something in them that they can innovate. Like ideas are creations, you know, you were saying this earlier and, you know, something, there's something about the human condition that 
creation is so important. And I think if we didn't have it, you know, if you didn't have art, if I didn't have, I mean, podcasting is, it's, it's an art form. It's talking, talking is an art form. Uh, And if I didn't have something to make me like this music, anything that I do that's creative, if I didn't have creativity in my, like I would die. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so so just being, that's it. I think it's just part of the human condition is just doing things that are more creative than, you know, a- animals really. Yeah, and they say they say that's what separates us from animals: creativity. I have to say, I've seen a lot of interesting things that animals can do. I mean, take what is it? I think it was like a caterpillar or something, and maybe it was like a certain crab. You know, it would make its own shell or make its own cocoon or chrysalis, and if and it would use natural objects that it would find. But if you regulated what it could find, it would like, you'd give it beads and jewels, and feathers and all these things. It would use what it had and it made this like beautiful. And most animals instinctively, it's interesting if they're making something, it's always, um, it's usually very, what's the word? Uh, uh, Divine proportion, I guess. Uh, the nautilus shell is fractal, but you know, if the if the shell is made naturally, then that's made naturally. Crab or whatever might be making its own shell still makes it in a certain kind of way. So it's really interesting that it's like instinctly in certain animals. There's a certain fish that when it attracts its mate, like it beats its tail on the on the floor of the ocean in a circle and different like you know you got different sizes of the circle it's a perfect circle and it's like a mandala but he's just attracting his mate but he's making this perfect circle mandala in the sand and you're like you know i guess they can be creative if you look at it that way but they're just doing their natural thing so yeah i mean when it comes to us we are capable of like, calling it creativity. Like, yeah, like I did this and that's really, it's, it's, it's not a survival thing. Just animals live to survive. They go out and hunt. They go out and feed every morning so they can go back home and take care of their, their, you know, their babies in the nest. And then, and then the babies grow up and then, you know, their, their lifespans are, most of them are pretty short. So they have this instinct way of living their life um, to survive. And then we have humans that we're capable of creating something because we don't have to go out and hunt our food right now. And that was a big question about the cave, the cave dwellers, like ancient Homo sapien, when we were finding pictures of the horses and the mammoths and and the bison and all that stuff in those caves you know they were like why are why are they painting these animals so the first thought was well they were hunting these animals that's what they were eating later on i found out that's not the case at all they were not eating those animals at all um but why were they drawing them on the wall and they're like well maybe they like worship these animals well, shit, so if they're worshiping these animals, 
you know, we can understand I'm not eating, but like they're still drawing on the wall. Um, so they're taking time out of their day to eat, to survive. And those, you know, I'm talking 30,000 years ago. They didn't go eat that day. They thought that creating this painting was more important. So to be able to sit down and um, document this thing on the wall, besides going out and like trying to hunt food with the rest of the crew that day, must have been really important to them. So I think that that's how creativity kind of spawned with us too, is like being capable of doing something like that and it's thrilling other people around you. People, other people can see it. Like I'm doing something and you can interact with it too. Like I think, yeah, I think that that's, it's interesting how we kind of started all that stuff, but to be able to draw was a huge question. They're like, how did they get the idea to draw? And they did a huge study and they pretty much convinced that it was an altered state of consciousness and labeling it that way meant that they were hallucinating, whether it was a lack of oxygen in the cave or they were eating a mushroom. They never really said, but it was a altered state of consciousness. So they were hallucinating and most likely seeing patterns on, like, on the wall in front of them. And so they would take the charcoal stick or whatever and trace the pattern. And if you go back further in the cave, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable that you'll see like these crazy squared off 90 degree angle patterns. It doesn't make sense. But the 90-degree angle and the square and the continuous DMT. line is there. Yeah, that hallucinating, that was your – your brain is just over here like da 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 and, 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 I mean, I like to think I could imagine what it was like, but we've been so exposed to certain things in our lifetime. We have completely different things than what they used to. We see completely different things than what they used to. So I, I think that – them sitting down and trying to draw them who knows what kind of pattern they were seeing and then and then getting you know lost and then forgot what they were doing and then move on to something else you know like they were tripping mm -hmm. and but with very small brain capacity at that time but i can't say that they didn't have the same they were just learning for the first time it's almost like say hereditary stuff uh, after so long, it's just like you can be a baby and you grow up and things are normal. You know, you don't really question it. But like them, they're having these weird fucking experiences and they don't know how to describe it. They can't communicate with each other very well. There's no spoken language. You can draw on this wall and like communicate that way. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's stuff's it's wild to think. All that, all that stuff's so interesting to me. I wish I had a time machine, honestly, dude. Yeah. That I could just go back and just watch. Like, see what they did. Like, when did we invent the wheel? That's a great Think, about that. Think about that. That is one of the most biggest inventions in Homo sapiens' life. In our, all of our time being on this planet. We've been here 150, 200,000 years, right? 
why did we not document the will? How do we not know where the will came from? It blows my mind. Like that just blows my mind. That is one of the biggest inventions <laughs> ever. And we don't have any document of it. So, or how it even became a fruition. Like, did they cut a tree down and look at it sideways? It's like, oh, wow, look, just cut it right there. And now we got like a smaller version of this tree or something. I don't know. It's just how did they come up with it? I wish I had a time machine. I had a question for you earlier that I didn't ask you, so I want to ask you it now. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on burial or the burial practices of humans? Because you were talking about how trees like die and they kind of, and I was thinking of how they kind of like go back to the earth and humans have become so like, I mean, cremations almost like that, but not really in a sense being and burial in a casket with all these chemicals in them. It's clearly not. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's rewarding. Not it's not uh, rewarding to the earth. So what are your thoughts on no. it? I, you know, I'm, I'm a, well, you see all kinds of different burials um, throughout mankind. Um, obviously, the important people are are usually put alone, and they might have their followers by, on the sides, but they're all maybe piled or in one big grave. Um, he's usually separated, um, and he's in his own little chamber. I think that had maybe something to do with they did believe in an afterlife. Um, and that they might still need their body or something. Um, I think that they were obviously, I think that they noticed how animals decomposed on the ground. Um, I'm sure they walked up on decomposing animals in, in the woods at times and saw, you know, worms and half of it's in the dirt and it looks like grass is growing around it, mushrooms are growing off of it. So I think that they had an understanding that, like, wow, we just kind of go back into the earth um but and then we become that but our bodies are gone so if our important people let's separate them so they don't they need their body they still need their body so maybe that had something to do with it then you have like ancient warriors who wanted to be burned on a boat that was going across sounds badass i mean hell that sounds awesome um i think cremation is not as i don't think cremation is as bad as bombing like we do in our Western cultures these days. Um, mummifying was really cool. Also an aspect of we want to keep the bodies around because we think we might need them in the afterlife kind of thing. Um, and trying to preserve it. Uh, but embalming, I, you know, shit, thank God that it's in a, a box and it's not being s- spread into the dirt because all them chemicals and, I mean, you'd imagine a graveyard that didn't have a coffin that was sealed and all those chemicals and the grass probably wouldn't grow. And I think they only do that nowadays so that they can have basically an open casket and they can view their loved one one last time. Um, but the, the, the toxicness and what it does to the, to the earth, yeah, I think that's definitely a man-made thing of thinking up that's probably been exercised from past times where they're trying to preserve a certain body. Cause in our time, in our era, like we're all important. We're all, we are all important, but we really do think that we are a one of a kind and 
we all want to be cherished. And in ancient times, it was just the king or the pharaoh or some important person like that. And everybody else was just everybody else. But nowadays, we all want to be the king and the queen. And our family members like like services that way when we when we pass on. Yeah, I yeah. my dad, he's like, I want to be cremated. My mom, she, she might want to be cremated too. But it's my dad wants to do that because a funeral costs so much. Um, it's expensive. Um, being a little with boss, being burned, I, he jokes. He's like, I think it's eighty-five dollars, you know. So I don't mind that if I had to have the option of being embalmed or cremated. I definitely want to be cremated because I mean, you think about ash, you think about a forest fire and how the ash goes back into the earth and it mm-hmm. nu- nutrients and all that good stuff. I can see that being fine. I definitely want to benefit the earth somehow when I pass. Yeah. I like those tree pods. Those are super cool. Um, but I, you know, being a, a weird artist kid, I also want to have a badass tombstone where I'm like, hands are coming out of the, the top and it looks like I'm like still coming back. And yeah. That's just my artist take. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know what's going to happen whenever that time comes. But I'd be down for a tree, but I'd be pissed off if somebody came along when they cut cut my tree down. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's one of those things where I'm kind of iffy because who what who knows what's going to happen in fifty to a hundred years? With trees. I mean, you're you're like you might have some preserved land right now, but you might not have some preserved land in fifty years. So, so back to our conversation, you know. Burial aside, we were talking about death earlier and everything, you know. One thing that fascinates me about death is that I feel like we don't know enough and we maybe we'll never know enough about what how the universe works and why energy can't be created nor destroyed to say that we can't will not exist, you know. Mm-hmm. But also we are it's the question. It's the mind versus body question. It's the synapses question. Are we a part of this experience or are we up here? You know? And I feel like yeah. you, you said like, you feel like you're not just the body when you go on an experience. And I feel like that's a lot of ways, you know, you feel like you're like somebody sitting inside of a meat sack, looking through the eyeballs and experiencing life, but up here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I've thought about, I've been all kinds of, I've had all kinds of theories on my belief system, I guess. Like I, I've gone from this to that, to not knowing, to I think I know, to nope, I don't know anything. And I keep going back to like, I really like the reincarnation uh, theory of, of we're, we're reborn into a different like a part of the cycle or a continuous cycle um but living different experiences so that our our soul like our mental capacity doesn't remember we're like amnesic we don't remember when we have a new life we don't remember our past life but our soul does and i think that our soul 
comes in contact with other souls that it remembers. So we feel like we've known this person forever, but you've never met them before. You know, first time meeting them. I think that that's, you know, like you said, we'll probably never know. Um, but I think that dreams, I think the out-of-body experiences, whether it's psychedelics or a natural vibration that you've done to make yourself leap, and, and, and death, I think that they're all connected because it's our consciousness leaving this vessel and experiencing an, uh, another state of or a dimension or a realm that our soul has gone to many, 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 many times before. And a lot of times it remembers. And I think especially when you die, um, like you have your guardian angels or you, uh, you have what I've heard them called as greeters. They, they're the same ones. They always greet you. So your soul remembers them when you die. And your soul is comforted because it's a traumatic thing you just went through. And so you see these beings, they're like there to comfort you. And your soul remembers them from the last time you passed away, the time before that. So it's, you know, it's, it goes into all these different religions, too, is what I love about it. So like a lot of religions have the same concept of these guardians that watch over you. Um, I, I think that there's something there. I think that there's something there. Otherwise, there wouldn't be a ton of people talking about it or having the experience. I've watched a few of these um, these little episodes of like where people have died and come back to life kind of thing, um, near-death experiences, people on the surgery table, and, you know, they die. But their consciousness, like their soul still there. Like one episode was this woman, she was having, um, I don't, I don't know, heart transplant. I don't know what was going on, but she died on the table and the doctors are all like, oh shit, you know, like freaking out, trying to get her back. And then they resuscitate her. And then, you know, she's still under whatever her, the drug they put her under to make her go to sleep. And then when they wake up, she wakes up and she's conscious again. Um, they're like, you know, we lost you on the table. Like, you literally, you you flatlined on the table. You died. She's like, yeah, I know. Like, I was still there in the room. I, I watched you. They're like, no, but you were unconscious. And then you were never awake. She's like, I know, but I was there. And, like, I saw you use that knife, and you did this. And the doctor's like, holy shit. You saw that? She's like, yeah. And they're like, you were dead. It's like, but I watched you from above. And I'm like, ooh, like, you know, this stuff's that's so interesting to me because like there's a void. Your soul can hover in this, we can't see it. So is it a higher dimension? Is it another realm that our eyes don't see? Um, is it something our brain doesn't comprehend? You know, is it that purgatory state where your soul goes, but it's still here like i think there's a lot of questions to that and i think it's very fascinating because a lot of people have experienced it near-death experiences a lot of people have experienced some psychedelics a lot of people have experienced it having dream states at night you know um even um what do you call it 
astral projection and, you know, seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, all really fascinating. And hell, I'll even throw in alien abductions into that. Like, most of them are asleep at night. They wake up. Their bodies are still asleep. They're paralyzed, but they're conscious. They see entities around them. Or they might see a, a light in the tunnel, and then they might astral project out of their body, even though they realize that they were in bed. So, I mean, what does it all have in common is your, like your consciousness is leaving your body. So, I think, I don't know what's going on. It's, it leads me to believe that, like, like you said, energy can't be created nor destroyed. It can only change forms. Um, maybe this energy goes and rests in a spot and then comes back. Maybe it has a forever source that it goes to, which is like a heaven, you know? Like, I don't know. I just, I, all I know is that I'm experiencing this here now. I don't remember a past life if I had one. Um, and I only know what I have experienced, and I don't even know how to explain those. It's just, I think, to for people to understand dreams or death or anything like that, I think that psychedelics are a, a tool for that. I'm not trying to promote it over here. I just think that they have a lot of um, common sources to help with our understanding of our psychology, our brains, our souls, our afterlife, our everything like that. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's really cool to have that a part of your life, but it, it sucks that it's been so pushed under the table, like I always say. And nobody wants to say psychedelics are a huge part of our evolution, but I really think that it, it was. And I'm not telling everybody to go out and do it either. Not everybody should. But at least they should have one time to realize, hey, I probably don't need to be doing this anymore. But I think that that's a way of realizing who's going to have mental um, mental health issues, who's going to have schizophrenia. Um, you know, if they're on the verge of having schizophrenia and they take a uh, mushroom for the first time and it pushes them over the edge, I mean, maybe that mushroom's there to maybe help if we could figure out how that would help instead of them losing it in the grocery store one day because somebody said the wrong thing and then they just snap. So, you know, I think that they're there to help. I just think we need to get over that aspect of that they're bad for us. We just don't know how they really affect us, but they affect us. And that is the known thing that we should be asking questions about like why do they affect us like this and now we're able to do it i guess maybe we have the right people like researching it yeah well i think that's a good way to end it we're almost two and a half hours into this so hell yeah oh yeah we do good talking there i don't i don't usually talk to anybody this long <laughs> I do. I try to get people just out of there. I just out of what they do. I mean, you're. I feel like you're a talkative person in general. But I, if I can get you to talk longer than you talk to anyone, that's good, bro. Oh, I, know, yeah. I know that people will be very, very interested in this conversation. It's always, it's always great talking to you too. So yeah, you're same. Fast, man. Enjoy it. You're a very fascinating person. You got, you got, you can talk for 
hours and that's awesome because you have such these you 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 are a very intelligent person and but you have a different outlook outlook of life than a lot of people so thank you for coming on. yeah thanks yeah yeah i appreciate you having me man let's do this again soon definitely man oh yeah um so you have a great rest of your day um enjoy the rain i guess enjoy your tomorrow (laughs) day Episode 61 with John Gay. Look, if you guys liked that episode, which I know you did, give it a like, share, and a download. Tell your friend why the Colin Man's Answer Show is the best new show in podcasting. That was really loud. I'm sorry. But, you know, as always, stay demanding.